You're listening to the Pure Fury Creations Podcast Network, powered by Anchor.fm. The following is a close to the heart presentation in association with the PFC Podcast Network and has been rated L for mature audiences only. Some language and dialogue may not be suitable for members of a family under 18 years of age. Hi, I'm Jason Klaus, and this is not your typical wrestling podcast. Instead, I'm going to be joined by a revolving panel of fans and experts as we look back on the biggest matches, moments, and events in the history of professional wrestling. So grab your foam fingers, make up your signs, don't forget your fanny packs, Join us as we take a trip back to yesteryear. Join us as we take a trip in the Turnbuckle Time Machine on the PFC Podcast Network, powered by Anchor.fm. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the return of the turnbuckle time machine here on the pfc podcast network powered by anchor.fm i am jason klaus i certainly enjoy i certainly appreciate you uh tuning in this week we and, and it's been a long time it's been a real long time in fact uh this is the first episode of the time machine that is now under the pfc podcast network umbrella um, that's, so it's been that long. I think March was the last time that we actually got a show recorded and uploaded and, and everything. And we are making a concentrated effort to bring this program back to some something of a regular rotation on our schedule. Now, with that being said, and if you are a, a previous listener to the program, you know we have a variety of guests, like a, a variety of um, co-hosts, if you will. Well, we have a new one that is going to be joining the ranks here on this episode. And it's just going to be, at this point, um, he and I are going to have a very interesting conversation about a very interesting man in terms of his influence in professional wrestling. And of course, I'm talking about Vince McMahon. Now, before we get into that, allow me to introduce to you the newest member of the PFC podcast family. And he is joining us here as one of our guests, one one of our co-hosts on the show here. He actually, if you have listened to the real podcast with Amy Sheridan over the course of the last month, you will recognize his voice. Joining me is Amy's husband, Tim Sheridan. And and Tim is going to be uh, joining the PFC Podcast Network as his schedule allows. Um, 
Tim, it's great to see you again. Like, like I said, we, we've talked on the real podcast with your wife, Amy. Um, just a tremendous amount of positive feedback. Um, I put the feelers out there earlier this week because I said I want to do this. I, I want to relaunch the Turnbuckle Time Machine. And we are going to be talking about Vince McMahon on this show. And I got the message that you were very in interested to be a part of this. So it's great to have you here on the Turnbuckle Time Machine. It's great to have you as a part of the PFC Podcast Network. How's things with, with you, my friend? Every, everything's going good. You know, it's uh, just trying to beat this heat. Yeah, I, I was thinking, you know, it's just as we wrap the, the last show, and I, I know that, I don't know when this episode will drop, but the the last episode of the Real Podcast for the Derby years dropped the other day, and I, I said in there, you know, I get to take a break from the podcast for a little bit. You know, it's like it's finally wrapped up, and it's like all of a sudden I, I see you reach out and, put that out there for being on this show and it's like wrestling i could get down with wrestling you know especially Vince McMahon. you know that, that's right up my alley so i, I guess i'm back here with you so, right it didn't take uh, long <laughs> it certainly did not we uh we just you know full disclosure we we wrapped up the the, the conclusion of the derby years you know saga on the real podcast it just dropped us past uh saturday as a matter of fact so uh yeah this this was a very impromptu thing like i've been sitting here and i was thinking jesus you know i really want to get this show back up and rolling because when you have that many personalities there's that many different schedules mine theirs we just were not able to always meet up and i and i made a decision the other day i'm like i I need to get this show back on the road here. And even if it's just me, you know what I mean? Because I can sit here and talk about wrestling for hours and hours on end. Anybody that knows me on a personal level knows that. Um, but to bring, you know, people up to speed as, you know, what your story is real quick, if they have not been listening to, um, if they have not been listening to the real podcast and they're not familiar with, your involvement in that, um, you are a former professional wrestler. Uh, you actually came and, you know, eventually made your way to the Michigan Wrestling Organization, which is how you and I, you know, first met. You were part of, uh, of this invading faction uh, called Revolution X. You portrayed uh, Tommy Klein. Yeah. And over the course of your time here, man, like I, I talked about it on, on the real podcast this past weekend, like you have always been um, just one of my one of the people that I knew walking into a venue. I was never going to have, have a problem with you. You know, you've always been very professional. You've always been very upfront. I have never had a problem with you. And as life happens, this is where we're at now. You and Amy are very happily married. Yeah. And, um, you know, she started her show a while back and you jumped in because she wanted to start tackling her years in the roller derby arena. And you were a very crucial part of that. So during the course, um, during the course of that, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm listening. I'm like, this guy has a spot in the network. 
whenever he sees fit, you know what I mean? Because you just came in, you were so natural at it. Mm-hmm. And when you when you said or when you expressed interest of being on this episode, I'm like, this is where it's at. So um, I'm very happy to have you on board. Is there anything you kind of want to throw out there to let the listeners know in terms of any part of your history with the wrestling business or 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 anything like that before we really do a deep dive on the most influential man in the history of professional wrestling? Um, well, the first thing I want to say is you, you bring up the real podcast again, and if any of the listeners that are listening to this are not listening to that, they're missing out. For like, sure. Especially on the Derby Year saga, because that is a story that is just, I mean, it's crazy, it's unbelievable. I lived it, you know, and it's hard to put it into context, but they need to go check that out. But me, I was, uh, I was in the professional wrestling business for I want to say about 19 years by the time I finally stopped. So, and I, I've been quite a few different places. I've met a lot of different people and I do have to say, and I know Amy's told you this before, but the most fun I ever had working was working for you. MWO was a different world altogether to me you know so it was always a blast work for you and nothing but the utmost respect for you but in saying that it's almost i think almost 19 years in the business um so when this episode got brought up you know just to be a part of a wrestling podcast i'm like i'm ready let's go you know (laughs) i mean huge wrestling fan and anybody who's in the business says that they're not a huge wrestling fan or don't watch I mean they're liars you know there's no reason to get in this business if you're not a fan especially on our level right because it's yeah. not like we're WWE or at this point AEW or New Japan or even Ring of Honor you know what I mean uh, you know back in the day it was it was WWF or WCW and mm-hmm. like you hear you hear about guys like Bill Goldberg who, who was recruited into the business, not because he was necessarily a fan. He was a big, imposing athlete that, at the time, Eric Bischoff saw something in him. And I don't know if that was to directly, you know, he will argue the point that it was to counter um, produce an athlete, a star, when the WWF had Steve Austin, WCW brought in Bill Goldberg. Um, that's just one example, but you're absolutely right. By and large, the majority of the people who are involved in this business, especially on an independent level, you have to start off being a fan or else what the fuck are we doing here? Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I totally mean, get that. You bring Bill Goldberg into that. You know, I just watched that A&E episode as Legends biography the other day. And, you know, he wasn't a fan, but then again, you really look at it. His career wasn't that long either. Right. It was very short. You know, he ended up coming back years later. But like I said the other day on the other podcast, he came back because he wanted his family to see him, you know. Right. Um, but he wasn't a fan. And his, his career kind of, I mean, he got pushed to the moon. Let's just put it that way. I mean, was he a great worker? No. Was he a great character? Yes. You know, yeah. I mean, he sold what he could do and he did really well with it. 
but he wasn't, I mean, he didn't hang on for very long. I mean, the total, I think, in the beginning was, what, five years, 97 to 02, when he finished up his last stint with the WWE, and then he didn't come back till 16, and he's off and on now. So, right. I mean, it kind of shows possibly that he wasn't a fan, because most guys don't just walk away like that after five years. So, Right guy, right time. Yeah. In this business, timing is everything, right? Oh, 100%. And, you know, there was a lot of people who were really smart who were able to capitalize on that. So. Yep, for sure. So also joining us here, um, just came into the proverbial studio as one of our co-founders of this very show, the one and only, the incomparable Pope Brandon Brownson. Pope God damn it, bro. It's been too long. Hello. Hello, my beautiful audience. It's your boy, Pope Adult, back on the time machine at last. I'm so happy I don't have to unclog the shitter after Rex is in the time machine for once. That's a nice feeling. I don't even know how you clog the shitter on a time machine. Do you know how powerful that suction force is? We are literally using the force of the fourth dimension to rocket that dookie out, and he still finds a way. Fuck! I'm well, home Pope, alone, so I can be extra energetic today. I can tell. I can tell. You're all, <laughs> you're, you're all fired up, ready to rip and roar. Um, Pope, I know you, you, you came in here late, so let me introduce you to the newest member of our podcast family here on the PFC Podcast Network, Tim Sheridan. Um, Hi, you, this Hi. is Pope Brandon Brownson, and um, one of our most charismatic and sometimes controversial members of our podcast family. But I mean, this show would not be a thing without Pope. So uh, I'm very excited to have both of you on here. I think we're going to have a great conversation here today. And uh, listen, let's just jump right right into it. We're done with the formalities and the introductions and the brouhaha. Let's talk about why we're here this week. We're here because we are going to do not really a deep dive, but we are going to look at the influence that is Vincent Kennedy McMahon. You know, the the guy is professional wrestling. And Tim, you and I were talking about, you know, this earlier before we came on the air here. Um, you and I and Pope for for that matter, like we would not be involved in the wrestling business on any level, major leagues or independence or or otherwise, if it hadn't been for, for Vince McMahon, because let's face it, by the time he came into power, by the time he bought what would become the World Wrestling Federation from his father uh, back in 83 or 82. Um, had that not happened, we may not be even talking about a professional wrestling industry. It's certainly not on the level that it is here in 2022. Um, I'll start with you, Tim, because you and I are a little bit closer um, in age here like in, in terms of our fandom uh what is your earliest memory and i know you know when you talk about per professional wrestling like for me i started watching it 
in 83, the territory system was still very much a thing. And, but it was the WWF and it was the, the dawn of Hulkamania that got me sucked in. Like I knew about the WWF before I knew about NWA, AWA, world-class, continental, the Pacific Northwest, like all of these territories, right? What is your earliest memory of being a, a, a professional wrestling fan? Tim, we'll start with you. So I'm a little bit of a weird one. Um, I didn't technically, like I remember growing up seeing it on TV when I was younger. I remember watching sometimes on the weekends. Um, sometimes the neighbor kid was watching. I didn't fully become completely addicted to wrestling until my teenage years. That doesn't mean I don't know the history of wrestling because when I dove in, I dove in real deep. And I, you know, like I said, when I was younger, I would watch, but like I kind of got dragged in probably around the 96, 97 timeline is when I became a huge wrestling fan. So it was kind of already starting to build up those Monday Night War era, you know, and that's when I got completely addicted. But I do remember my first experience watching wrestling was WWF, and it was damn Undertaker, and it scared the hell out of me. (laughs) I was watching it at that point in time, and that was as a kid. Right. So as as a kid, like the first guys that I had ever seen on TV were the Road Warriors, oh, like nice. vintage Road Warriors, you know, uh, before all the waving and all that shit with, with the fans. It was them with their mohawks, their face paint, their spiked shoulder pads, just storming the ring and throwing these dudes all over God's green earth. And like I was fucked. And then like the next week is when I found out about Hulk Hogan. And when I, when I got introduced to Hogan, he had just won the WWF world title from the Iron Sheik. So the Hulkamania thing was just very beginning. Uh, Pope, I know we have touched on this with you on previous episodes, but just for um, the, the sake of conversation, what is your earliest memory of being a fan of, of professional wrestling just for, for context purposes? First of all, let me go ahead and preface this by saying that I legitimately remember the answer to this question better than the night I lost my virginity. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) My first exposure to professional wrestling was WWF No Mercy, the old N64 video game. From there, I was kind of familiar with pro wrestling. Like, I was in school during the Monday Night Wars... And I got hit with my fair share of Stone Cold Stunners on the schoolyard. Let me tell you, those kids worked fucking stiff. Um, a year, couple years later, though, 2003, I was supposed to see WrestleMania 19. I did not because my buddy who was ordering it, uh, his dad was having issues ordering the pay-per-view. But I remember, like, I started talking with my buddy about wrestling more. And eventually, I decided to give it a watch. The Sunday Night Heat before Backlash 2003. With a main event of Christopher Nowinski versus Scott Steiner. Well, that's a main event anywhere in the country, right? 
it's a wonder that I grew to love professional wrestling as much as I did with that as my first match. But what really hooked me was the build between Rock and Goldberg. I remember seeing that build. I remember seeing build Goldberg. I'm not proud to admit the fact that Goldberg was my gateway into pro wrestling, but fuck it, this is where we're at. I saw that build. I was instantly hooked. I started watching Raw every week. Eventually, I found out about SmackDown. I started watching that every week. TNA eventually got a television spot. I watched that religiously every week. That was... I remember AJ Styles being one of the guys that hooked me sure. hard. Um, and then from there, 2003 on, it's been a part of my life. It's interesting to me, Pope, and I wanted, I wanted you to, to talk about this on this episode. Like I said, we, we've kind of touched on it in, in previous episodes as to how you got, how wrestling became on your radar. Mm-hmm. Yours came through a fucking video game. You know what I mean? You don't yep. hear that very often, that it's a video game that got you, you know, hooked in as a fan. In all fairness, so, have you played No Mercy? That game well, is good absolutely. One, probably the greatest <laughs> video game ev- ever made is, you know, in terms of the wrestling genre goes. That and Easily. WrestleMania 2000. Um, and I guess the WCW version of that game with the same controls and... Well, I mean, I would argue that those were an evolution. Like, the Aki guys first started with that old WCW game. They moved their way up to WrestleMania 2000. And then finally, No Mercy was their swan song. Yeah. No, I'll I'll give you that. Now, now quick sidebar. Tim, did you play these these video games, the No Mercies and WrestleManias and uh, the WCW? Was it Revenge? I did play WCW. I did play No Mercy growing up because by then I was pretty well hooked into wrestling and anything I could do wrestling related. I mean, I was I was hooked. And I can tell you, funny though, the night that I became completely hooked to wrestling and knew this is what I wanted to do was the Hell in a Cell match in '97 between Mick Foley and The Undertaker. Like that match changed my life. Like Mick Foley was a god to me. Like that that guy, all I wanted to do was be just like Mick Foley. And he's the the reason I got into the business, which is really weird because I never got into doing all the hardcore stuff. You know, right. I, I didn't do the death matches and you know, another sidebar note, which is really cool. Out of all the years I've ever spent in the business, and I've met a lot of people. One person that I never got to meet was Mick Foley. So just earlier this year for my birthday. I got a surprise on my birthday that Amy got me, and she got me a phone, uh, like a FaceTime with Mick Foley. So I finally oh, got. Yeah. So it it was fucking awesome, you know. I finally got to meet my childhood hero, and like, and have a conversation with him. That's so that, that was cool. That so is that, cool. Yeah, it was one person I always had regrets that I never had a chance to, to meet. You know, I've met a lot of people. Like you brought up Scott Steiner. Like Scott Steiner is crazy. One of the nicest people I've ever met in my entire life. Him and Rick both. Their parents are awesome because I got to meet all of them. Like some of the coolest people you ever meet in your life. Just super down to earth, really nice guys. Good shit. So a sidebar, we do that a lot here on, on the shows here, Tim, if you haven't picked up on that yet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sidebar about Steiner. Um, his cousin, the, the 
the Steiner brothers' cousin. Um, his wife is a realtor, and she is actually the one that was responsible for us buying our house in Benton. Oh, no her shit. last names are are Rex Steiner. Yeah, and uh, like I was like I had to ask, you know what I mean? Because I was yeah. like, look, I I know this goes like weird, but your last name. And she throws her hands up in the air. She goes, "Yes, Rick and Scott are my husband's cousins." <laughs> <laughs> I had to ask because you don't yeah. see that name very often, you know. What no, I mean? no. So, um, all right, listen. Um, let's talk about the formalities of Vince McMahon, born on August the twenty fourth, nineteen forty five, in North Carolina, uh, which is funny because he's always had this this persona that he's always been from a rich neighborhood. Like he was mm. billed from Greenwich, Connecticut and always in our, you know, we've always heard that he'd always looked down on the Southern part of the United States, especially when the NWA became prominent. Like now there's just those Southern boys wrestling down there. You know what I mean? But, to, but to find out that he was actually born in North Carolina, is kind of funny to me, but mm. he was. Um, it wouldn't be until 1969 that he would make his first television appearance in a professional wrestling endeavor, uh, was thrown in as a last-minute replacement on commentary when his father, Vincent uh, Mc McMahon, was the owner of what was the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Before that, it was known as Capital Wrestling Corporation. Uh, so Vince Jr., as they call him, the Vince McMahon that, that we're talking about here, was thrown in as a last-minute replacement on commentary. And that's where, like I, uh, as a fan of the 80s, during this huge, the first big expansion of the business upon the birth of Hulkamania, the launch of the Rock and Wrestling Connection. Like, if you guys weren't a part of that, if you weren't paying attention to that, like, that is the era that really put professional wrestling on a worldwide stage. What we didn't know at that time as fans is we, like, we didn't know Vince McMahon was the owner of the WWF. Because in our minds, you know, the demographic he was going on, you know, after was my age group. Yeah. It was, you know, your your kids going into their early teenage years, the cartoons, the serials, the the merchandising, all this, all this other stuff. That's what made these these wrestlers larger than life superstars. And like I said, man, I was the key demo. I was hooked. You, the whole Hulkamania thing, like, shaped my whole life. And it did for a generation of fans. And it set the, the stage for, that's what I want to be when I grow up. Now, Tim, with you, you know, you, you, you just got done saying that Mick Foley, you know, Cactus Jack, Mankind, Dude Love, um, he was your idol or the one that you looked up to Pope, you know, aside from AJ styles, who's the one guy that really got you hooked in? Who was that larger than life persona that got you sucked into the business as a fan? 
I would say that that came in two parts right around the same time. Because as I was doing my history lessons, learning about the business, I discovered two people who I took a particular interest in. One of them, ironically enough, being Mick Foley. Uh, and I believe that anyone who's watched my work with the MWO or IWE can see that influence not just on my sleeve, but I am wearing an outfit of that influence. Uh, I loved his more serious work, but Commissioner-era Mick Foley is what really inspired me to start getting into the... Uh, like it's what got me to want to get involved uh the person who helped me discover just how deep and beautiful pro wrestling storytelling can be though is raven the name you don't hear very often nope. and it upsets the fuck out of me that you don't raven was raven in today's setting would be as big as Roman Reigns, and I will die on that hill. The amount of creativity and just the mind he had for storytelling. Say what you will about his in-ring stuff, but that level of just character development and the Tommy Dreamer storyline, just something about that took a young child me and hooked me, hook, line, and sinker. So a combination of just the crypticness of Raven and the goofiness of Foley, something about that really got me, and I feel like my therapist would have something to say about that. I think so, Raven, just before his, you know, he, I think yeah. he would succeed a lot more in this setting. He was a great worker, and I think a lot of his character stuff was just in the wrong era, you know. Heard agree. Kind of at that era of coming out of the the character, you know, wrestling was bigger than life. Everybody had these, you know, crazy characters, and you know, he had a, a different type of character, and it started shifting around, you know, being of his time. But I think he was just lost at the wrong time, you know, because his in ring work was always amazing. He couldn't knock that, but he was just wrong time, wrong place. Well, I know we're going to go on, on a sidebar here about Raven, but I, I feel like, you know, it took a guy like Paul Heyman to really appreciate what yeah. Raven brought to the table where, where like Eric Bischoff in WCW and Vince McMahon in the WWF, once Raven came back to the WWF after they had bought WCW, they didn't get him. They didn't understand him. They, they didn't know how to book him. You know, he wanted to do his own thing, and they just didn't think that he was marketable enough, uh, which is unfortunate. And yeah. he was in the wrong era, because especially now, and we'll go more into this here in, in a little bit, because, you know, generally here on the Time Machine, we will go back and revisit a specific show, a specific pay-per-view, a specific day in the history of the business. Here this week, we're talking about the man, the man that that is this business. And I'm going to go on on a rant later on, probably towards the end of the show about this, because I've gotten into a lot of conversations about this heated ones, too. But my point of view is one that like I've watched this man 
build his entire empire from the ground up. You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, we just talked about, like, he made his first appearance in 69. Now, that's a shit long time ago. There, I mean, so much has happened back then. From then up to, up until now, like, you look at the, I think in, in 69, what? Bruno Sammartino and Pedro Morales and Stan Stasiak and... Billy Graham, like these are the headliners of the WWF back then. Now, when Vince, you know, takes over, buys the company from his dad, drops the 1W, becomes World Wrestling Federation, recruits Hulk Hogan, totally rechanges the entire landscape of not just the company, but the business as a whole to the point to where the promoters of the NWA, all of your regional promoters, your Don Owens, your 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 Marchniks, your you know all of these guys, Crockett's obviously, like they were all trying to form this one band to overthrow Vince McMahon because once he started to show his his hand a little bit, like we're taking this shit national, and and this is what really made that whole Hulkamania boom as powerful as it did because nobody had the balls to try to take their one regional product to go across the nation because, let's be honest, nobody had that one big star. And if they did, and I'll use Bill Watts as as an example here with the Junkyard Dog, when Bill Watts had the Junkyard Dog in Mid-South, the popularity that that dude had down there, rival Hulk Hogan's. Yeah. The problem is nobody fucking knew about it unless yeah. you had subscriptions to the Aftermags, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Inside Wrestling, The Wrestler. You know what I mean? Like these were big time publications that focused on the entire business. Now, Hogan comes in and like he he becomes your real life superhero. What we didn't know as fans back then is it wasn't Hogan that was really doing like he was the one in the ring and he was doing all the, all the appearances and it was his likenesses and his logos and shit that we were buying. But it was really Vince McMahon behind the scenes that was kind of steering the ship. We didn't realize that because all we knew Vince McMahon at that point was the commentator on Saturday mornings mm-hmm. during the, the superstars of wrestling. And like for you guys, for the for the both of you, like when you come into paying attention to wrestling, like really paying attention to it, other than oh yeah, that's that's that pro wrestling stuff. Like Vince McMahon had already become known as the owner of the WWF. He had he had become Mr. McMahon at that point, like the Montreal screw job, like for, for you, Tim. The Montreal screw job was either just about to happen or it had just happened. You know what I mean? Like 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 Taker and Foley, their hell in the cell was at ninety-eight King of the Ring in June yeah. of ninety-eight. Um, so the Montreal screw job had happened at the end of, of ninety-seven. The Mr. McMahon character had already become a thing. Mm-hmm. And like I remember the first time I put two and two together, it's almost like you know, you realize 
who Santa Claus really is. You know the what I mean? Easter like, Bunny. <laughs> but you're like, wait a minute. The commentator is the one that owns this motherfucker? Because for the longest time, I thought it was Jack Tunney. Jack Tunney was the was the president was the on air president of the WWF for the longest time. Then Monsoon came in, and then Piper came in, and then you know what I'm saying. So it's like, what a mind fuck that 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 was. But leave it to a guy like Vince McMahon to be able to keep that under wraps for as long as he did, until it got to a point. And, and society as a whole played a part in this because the wrestling business, Tim, as as an in-ring worker, you have to agree, I would imagine, this business is very, number one, it's cyclical, and number two, it really feeds off of what's happening in real-life society. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. And I, I think in, in that era, you started getting... The internet started becoming more prominent, so it's harder to hide things. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff started leaking, and at that point, you can't you can't hide anything. So, eventually, he was going to have to come out as who he was. But to go back on that to show the geniusness of Vince McMahon, and you were talking about the territories. You know, if you watch a lot of the older territories or pay attention, they would cycle talent through a lot. Right. Vince decided to go mainstream and build talent, you know, that was his talent that didn't go anywhere. You know, they weren't cycling new guys out. You know, the, the territories never really stuck with one person. They, they would run them for a while and then they would cycle them out and bring them back later on. Vince built a roster of a lot of the same guys and made them larger than life and put them out to an audience of the world. You know, nobody else had the balls to do that, like you're saying. No, certainly not. And, you know, there were, listen, I have been a student of the game for a long time, even before the internet became a thing. And now along those lines, Pulp, and I'll, I'll ask you this because, you know, you have more than made your mark with, with the internet, with, per, with, creating your own persona, you're doing your music thing on there, you do your shows, your podcasts, things of this nature. Mm-hmm. How much, how much, in your opinion, because when you started watching wrestling, the internet was still very much in an infancy type of, it's certainly not where it is now. But from your standpoint, has the internet ruined the, the yes. wrestling business? Okay. The internet, Bash, I'll take it a step further. The internet's ruined everything. Yeah, that could be true. Everything. But if we want to go specifically into uh, the internet's effect on the pro wrestling business, um, obviously, you know, spoilers suck. Being able to find out what happened before you have a chance to watch something, it fucking sucks. And it kind of results in one becoming more jaded towards something. Why would I watch it when I can just find out what happened here? Right. Uh, which ultimately, you know, between that and just all the backstage rumors and innuendo floating around to turn a phrase, uh, it just resulted in the 
formation of a very cynical fan base, uh, which ultimately I believe is what ruined pro wrestling. Like, I, I know, like, four people who are not jaded about pro wrestling. And I, I, all four of those people have just started watching within two years, and they haven't gotten involved with the internet wrestling community. I pray that they continue to not be involved in the internet wrestling community so they can enjoy this fucking thing that I like. Yeah, because the internet wrestling community and i've made i've been i have not been shy about this anytime i like i don't go on social media on a, on the daily and just put people on blast like a, number one i don't have time number two what good is it going to do but number but i i am always when anybody ever asks me what my opinion is of the state of the wrestling business here and now like i will give them my honest opinion the internet the internet wrestling community has ruined this fucking business for a lot of the reasons why you, that you just laid out hope mm-hmm. and like i i wish so bad that the generation here today the ones that are buying the roman reigns shirts or that they're ordering the all-out pay-per-views and all of this all this other shit i wish that I could pluck them from here, take them back to 1985, 86, 87, drop them in that time of frame, and just let them watch what the business was. Not just what it was, but how it felt. That's what this business is missing here and now is fucking feeling of some sort. Now, getting back to Vince, Vince McMahon, very much old school, and as much criticism as that man has taken, even before the scandal started to unfold, and we will get to this here in a little bit, but a lot of people criticize Vince for being out of touch, for not paying attention to what is popular here and now. It's not that he wasn't in touch with it. It's that he was, in my opinion, he was desperately trying to maintain that level of, for the lack of a better term, innocence that allowed us as fans to suspend disbelief, to actually be involved, invested in what the what we were being shown, the product that was being presented. Because that, my friends, is what is the time that I thought that professional wrestling was at its best. When we didn't have the spoiler alerts, where we just we just took what was presented to us. If we didn't like what we saw, there were other options. There was WCW, there was the AWA, there was Championship Wrestling from Florida, and then ECW became a thing. But at the same time, I felt like Vince, to his credit, and I'm not saying that it was right or wrong, because you have to evolve with the times, obviously, or else you're going to get, you're going to be looked upon as like an old school episode of Leave It to Beaver in an era of Stranger Things or, or something like that. So I get it. But at the same time, man, he's trying to me, he was trying to maintain some sort of foundation 
of the basic fundamentals that made this business so great that made me, made Pope, made Tim, and how many other hundreds of thousands of men and women aspire to be in the wrestling business. Everything revolves, whether they want to admit it or not, their influence into becoming part of this business, even in 2022, I don't give a fuck what you say. It all goes back to Vince McMahon. Tim, would, would you agree with that or no? Oh, 100%. There wouldn't be wrestling. Everything goes back to him. You know, it would, who knows? Maybe if Vince didn't do what he did, maybe the territories would have died. They probably wouldn't have, but it would have never blown up to where, where it was, you know, without him. Right. So. I mean, I've had arguments about this, believe it or not. And it's usually with with younger fans, you know, the ones that are in their 20s now. Like, their version of old school is the Attitude Era. You know what I mean? Like, my, my, my version of old school is, you know, like I said, as a personal fan, like, I can remember when Hogan won the, the WWF title for the, for the first time in Madison Square Garden. Like, mm-hmm. I remember when that happened. Um, so I, and I try to keep that in mind. You know, I, I, I really do. And even at a point to where, you know, back in the 90s, when, when business was, was starting to take a dip, like, well, wrestling has seen its biggest boom that it will ever see and it's going to start going to the wayside well then wcw started to become a thing and the next thing you know the monday night wars is what really rejuvenated this business and this is the time gentlemen that you came into the fold as fans yeah and i like if there was a secondary era to to get acclimated to this business if you weren't part of the Hulkamania boom and you weren't part of the golden age, uh, the attitude era is the next best thing because you had your rocks, you had your Austin's, you had your Goldberg's, you had the NWO, you had, you know, all of these big stars, but it wasn't just the big stars. It was two major companies fighting for television ratings. Yeah. Now, Now back then we didn't have that. It was, you know, it was, we didn't give a fuck about what the ratings were or what the pay-per-view buys were. And even though there were the Dave Meltzer's of the world and, and Wade, uh, thank you. Wade Keller's in the world. You know, they're a big, now I'll ask you this. Aside from the internet wrestling community, which obviously I'm very critical of, how big of an influence were the dirt sheets during during this time? You know these newsletters like the Wrestling Observers and 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 all this shit. The people that wanted to expose all the behind the scenes thing. Again, this is something that Vince had a very huge problem with because he wanted to keep everything on under wraps. He wanted to have that element of surprise because if things were to, were were recorded from you know, live to tape that, you know, nowadays that shit gets spoiled as it's happening. 
Mm-hmm. Back then, that wasn't a thing with with syndication and, and all this other stuff. But you got your jack offs like Meltzer and Kellers and you know they and, and people like that that they were a contributor to the downfall of the business. Would you agree with that or no? I would say that the dirt sheets had the exact same negative effect on pro wrestling as all of the reasons I listed for the internet. Uh, The only reason that those negative effects did not make themselves more abundantly clear is because the dirt sheets weren't as accessible as the internet. If as many people would have been able to get their hands on the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, I think that's what it's called, um, if as many people were able to get their hands on that as, say, as many people can, you know, go to, like, nodq.com, if I can date myself here a little bit, uh, then I believe that we would have seen all of those negative ramifications uh, probably a decade sooner than we actually did. Um, you know, the Dave Meltzers and the uh, Wade Kellers of the world really did create the blueprint on how to completely fuck up professional wrestling. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yep, I, and I'm glad to hear that from somebody and. Please don't think I'm being disparaging, but someone in your your demographic, your age group, mm-hmm. us like I'm 46 years old, right? Like I'm I'm in my mid 40s. I've been watching wrestling for over over half my life, probably three quarters of my life at this point. Mm-hmm. So to hear somebody that's of younger age recognize that fills my heart with some good because you have not been spoiled to the greatness that this business is. Um, now, Pope, you were a part of the MWO. You were a character on there. Like, you weren't, quote, unquote, a wrestler, but you were a personality. Mm-hmm. You were a character. You were a gimmick. You were the commissioner. Like, you had a role in the company, whereas, you know, Tim and I, and that's not to put us on a higher pedestal because I don't believe in that bullshit. Mm-hmm. But Tim and I were in-ring wrestlers, and we had been for a long, long time. Uh, but it just goes to show how much influence that McMahon had on the business where, like, I mean, everybody wants to be that wrestling superstar they want to be the guy that's on the posters of the t-shirts that's being displayed that's being you know touted after and and all of that but it also speaks volumes about the guys who wanted to become managers because back in the 80s you know like the managers scene was just as important as the guys that they managed at the time your jimmy hearts your freddie blassies your mr fuji's your Bobby Heenan's, you know, Jim, uh, Jim Cornette. I mean, we, we can go on and on and on and on. There, That is a lost art in this day and age, the era of the managers. Like, we got Paul Heyman, you know what I mean? Which, not disparaging to Paul Heyman because he's great at what he does, but, like, where are the managers in the business? And I realize I'm going off on a sidebar. We will get back to the McMahon thing, but 
just trying to illustrate a point that Vince's influence expanded so far into the business, every aspect of the business. Even if you weren't an in-ring performer, you were a promoter, like you were watching very intently on what Vince McMahon was doing. You were watching what moves he was making. Listen, when he booked the Pontiac Silverdome for WrestleMania three in 1987, like all of these other promoters, especially the ones that were under the National Wrestling Alliance umbrella, were counting on McMahon to fail. And they were, they were kind of circling, waiting to pick up the scraps because they thought because he had put so much stock into that one show that it was going to fail. You're talking about, a, at the time, the large one of the largest indoor stadiums in the entire world. Second only to the Tokyo Dome, which ironically is still standing. But he still managed, and I don't give a fuck what Meltzer says. I don't care what anybody says. Average 90,000 people. 90,000 people were in that building in March of 87. And they were there for one match. They were there for Hogan and Andre. Vince McMahon did that. No other promoter could have done that. And it was WrestleMania three that really put the World Wrestling Federation on a global map. Because I don't know if you guys realize this or not. You probably don't. So I'm going to shed some, shed some light in here on you. The Silver Dome itself. The Silver Dome at, at that time was the largest NFL stadium in the league. Home of the Detroit Lions. It, it, it packed more people than the Metrodome. It packed more people than where Seattle played. It, it was the and it it was huge. The only rival building that they had was the Tokyo Dome, and it, because it was very much built the same way. People in Tokyo, Japan, that the promoters for all Japan, New Japan, all of these, they were watching Vince McMahon to, to see what he was going to do, how he was going to draw, and he built that entire promotion around Andre and Hogan. Even though it would be Savage's steamboat that stole the show, and it did, make no mistake about it, it was Hogan and Andre that, that did that. Jim Crockett couldn't do that. Bill Watts couldn't do that. Bill Watts used to book the Superdome in New Orleans every single year for their big, their big annual show. The Superdome... Uh, I believe, Tim, if if I'm if I'm correct here, for like the New Orleans Saints games, they can pack maybe sixty five thousand people in there. Yeah. For Bill Watts' shows, I think the biggest crowd he ever drew, and I have to do some research. I'm just going to throw a number out there, but thirty thousand inside a sixty five thousand seat stadium. So even though that number is impressive on camera. It looks like shit, right? Because you're looking at a half-full dome. The Silver Dome, with 90,000 people in it. Now, for the NFL, when, when, the, when, the, when the Detroit Lions played there, their capacity was 80,155. They got you know 12,000 more people in there for a fucking wrestling show. That, to me, 
after after everything that that man has done up to that point. It was on that day that Vince McMahon stood up before the entire world, not just the wrestling world, but the entire world as a whole in terms of entertainment and gave everybody a big fuck you. That professional wrestling was real in terms of this is a legitimate form of entertainment. I'm not talking about what we do in the ring. But we are not to be fucked with because we just brought 90,000 people in here. We had Aretha Franklin. We had Bob Euchre. We had Mary Hart. We had Alice Cooper. We had all these you know, big-name celebrities. Then you look in years past that, how many pop culture phenomenons has been a part of this. None of this would have been a thing without Vince McMahon. Tim, what is your opinion on that, on what I just said? Am, am, am I off my rocker or no? No, no, it uh, it definitely shows the balls of Vince McMahon. I, it's one of those things, like, do you think anybody actually had the balls to try to pack the Silver Dome? Like, I don't think anybody out there in the right mind would have tried it, but he knew what he had, and he spent the time to build up to what he had, and he showed they had the balls to actually pack Silver Dome, and he could do it. Nobody else has the mindset of Vince McMahon. Um, or the so, work ethic. Yeah, and the work ethic. You know, there's so many people who have tried and have failed, and it, it even goes to show, you know, not even at that point, but going into the future. So many people tried to copy what he did, and have failed you know it's nobody thinks the way he does nobody has the work ethic that he does nobody has the belief in what he's doing the way that he does you know the guy's the guy's fucking genius you know um to know that he could pull that off and that's i mean let, let's be honest that is what put wbf on the map you know nobody else i mean football like you said NFL huge couldn't pack a stadium the way the WWF did. Right. No player could pack a stadium the way the WWF did. And he built something that, I mean, it's just unbelievable. Like, you can never think that you could take something like wrestling and build it as big as he did. No, certainly not. And uh, listen, joining us now here. On this particular episode, another one of our co-hosts here on the Turnbuckle Time Machine, Eric Cherry, is with us. Eric, can you hear me? Yes, sir. All right, man. Uh, obviously, we're we're talking about Vince McMahon here, and uh, you know we've kind of laid the groundwork as to you know him establishing his footprint in the wrestling business as the owner of the World Wrestling Federation, which would become World Wrestling Entertainment. And when you talk about a guy like Vince McMahon and you talk about a career that started back in 1969 as a as a commentator, you know, buying his dad's promotion from him, rebranding everything twice. Uh, now he's obviously, and we're going to get to this part here in a little bit, but uh, before we get into like the current stuff and we start kind of getting jumping in the time machine to look forward what is your initial like when did you realize that vince mcmahon was actually the owner of the world wrestling federation and not just the commentator that we saw on saturday morning 
and on Saturday night's main event. I think it was one of the Raws where the the Raw where he pulls Brett's uh, shirt or the, him and Vin, he's at the table, you know, and Brett comes up there and they get to the tussle and pulls his shirt over him. That's I kind of think of, like he's not just an announcer; he's got some some other business going on here. He's he has he holds a higher rank than what he's showing on TV. You know what I mean? Right. Because I feel like that that angle right there was a little bit real. Like they, they were. Already into, you know, arguing, and which led up to the Montreal screw, screw job, and you know, then the rest was history after that. Yeah, we we kind of alluded to that er, earlier in the show before you you came on here. Um, the Montreal screw job obviously was really the the pinnacle that set him out in the public eye as the owner of the World Wrestling Federation. Like we kind of going back. You know, when you look at, like, the old Coliseum video re- releases and stuff like that, and you actually read the credits, if you had paid attention back then, you would have realized, oh, he's not just a commentator. Like, there, he's, like you said, yeah, Eric, there's, he's got a lot more stake in this than just sitting behind yeah. the, the broadcast. He's wearing a couple other hats in his, his hat racks. Right, right. Um, you know, sidebar, I just seen a clip from when he did a live performance of his song "Stand Back" from the Pile Driver <laughs> album that was yeah. uh, featured on the Slammy Awards that year, and I remember watching that live when it aired, thinking, "Man, you know, they put a lot of stock in this commentator to give him his own song and his own performance <laughs> and stuff like that." And you're like, you know, you look at it years later, and like like this morning, I was watching, and I was like, I had no fucking idea that this dude was the owner of the WWF. Mm-hmm. 1987. Um, now, before we start jumping into the current stuff and looking into the future, we have to discuss uh, real quick, like this this scandal that Vince is involved in that would ultimately lead to his retirement from WWE. Uh, this is not the first time He's been embroiled in scandal. I want to take you gentlemen back to 1994 and the steroid scandal that, like, the the government was coming in and was looking to put him behind federal prison bars. Tim, do you have any recollection of the steroid scandal? And I realize this is before you really started paying attention to professional wrestling, but it had had that because it had been such a big story, like NBC Nightly News covered it and ABC World News Tonight covered it. Like it was a major deal. Did you have any idea as to what was happening in in '94 in terms of the steroid uh, controversy that that McMahon was eventually uh, acquitted of? I mean, I remember seeing it on TV because it was blasted all over the news. I knew what wrestling was. I wasn't like an avid fan at that point, but I I do remember seeing it on TV because it was literally all over the news. Everybody was covering it, so yeah, I, I do remember seeing it. Paul, what what about you? I know that was kind of, you know, it was way before your time, but I mean, do you? Do you know anything about this? Do you know how close he came 
to actually going to jail for a long time because of this bullshit? Severely close, which is funny because out of all of the scandals that Vince McMahon has been involved with over the years, I feel like that's the one that held the least weight. Um, it was, you know, to say that Vince McMahon was aware that people were doing steroids in the locker room, sure, that's one thing. Saying that he's the ringleader, that's a bit of a stretch, Marsha. Just a bit. Eric, you and I are a lot closer in in, in terms of our fandom yeah. than, uh, than with Tim and Pope here. I've, you know, Tim came into the wrestling world as a fan, like at the at the beginning of the Attitude Era. Pope, yeah. you know, obviously young, younger than than all of us. Uh, but you and I, like, we grew up in the eighties. <laughs> You know, right. we, we we remember when all this shit was happening in real time the first time around. Uh, the steroid scandal, man, like, I remember this very vividly and, and, and remember being legitimately worried that this was going to bring down not just Vince McMahon, but the entire WWF. And at the time, Hogan had just left to go to WCW, which was something that we never in a million years would have imagined would have happened, but sure as shit, like he is, you know, he's being promoted to challenge Ric Flair at Bash at the Beach in 94 for the WCW World Championship, and a couple days before that, like he's fucking sitting in court testifying against the man who made him who he is. Right. What's your thoughts on that? I thought that was great. We were, we, me and you were uh, close to Lydia and Austin's age now. Right. So, yeah, it was, we didn't really gather all of what was going on because I didn't you know, like, legality stuff. I knew that something bad was going down in WWE. And um, I remember the whole uh, Hogan going on, Arsenio, and kind of basically bullshitting everybody. And, uh, yeah, I was like, oh, this could be you know, really bad. Really bad. But uh, as it turned out, <laughs> thankfully, he was acquitted. He didn't have to turn control over to Jerry Jarrett. Huh? Which <laughs> could have been catastrophic. It would have. It would have. It would have flushed it down the toilet just like he did Memphis. And, uh, like, I, as by that point, I had started to really pay closer attention to the inner workings of the wrestling business. And, you know, even back then, I was like, why are they coming after Vince? You know what I mean? Because it was like, he's just a fucking commentator. Like, I think that was the point where I was like, oh, there's, there's something more to this, yeah. uh, especially in his involvement in, in, in business now. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, I mean, dogs the bullet because it, I mean, the government was, was coming after him hard and, uh, the doctor that they had employed, uh, to work for the company and the distribution of anabolic steroids. I mean, you look at guys like, you know, I'll go ahead and say, I don't give a fuck, like Rick Rude, the ultimate warrior. You, uh, Paul Orndorff. I mean, you you go right down the line, man, and 
you know, obviously Hogan, but Savage, I, I guess, too. Uh, right. But you really started to see that shift in, in, in dynamic of who was presented on top. Now that Hogan was out of the WWF, we they, they really put all of their, their baskets behind Breath the Hitman Hart, behind Shawn mm-hmm. Michaels, behind Diesel. Like, these are great athletes with good builds, but they weren't that action figure type of physique, right? Right. So, they weren't realized He-Man. Exactly. Exactly. I just want to add a note to that, that it was kind of bullshit that he didn't even go after him for that. Steroids is one of those things in wrestling, and like I said, I've been in the business for a long time, that even going after him, it didn't stop that shit. You know what I mean? You had to get smarter to hide it. But to pretend like Vince was the ringleader behind this? No. Did he know what was going on? Most likely. You know, like everybody was doing it. There wasn't anybody. They weren't, so they weren't competing for millions of dollars. Let's be honest. We, we put on a show. Um, you're a character. Now, whether or not you want your character to be the build of Shawn Michaels, you know, and or you want to be larger than life and you want to be He-Man, that's a decision that somebody's going to make on their own. I don't think anybody's pushing needles into their arm, you know, and, and to pretend that, you know, just with that whole thing going down with the the trials and stuff like that, that, that stopped any of that, that, that didn't, you know, I mean, I've, don't want to call out names that I've seen shit over the years, and you know, that didn't stop anything. You know, it just made people get smarter about it, and you know, now you got wellness checks and everything else, but to go after him on that was bullshit. Like Pope said, that held the least weight out of anything, because nobody was putting needles in anybody's arms. Everybody's grown men, they're making their own damn decisions. Exactly. It was something that was just an industry-wide thing, and realistically, the reason why it even got that far is because society, who had just realized that maybe steroids weren't this amazing thing that everyone thought it was, and suddenly had a massive issue with it, uh, they wanted someone to be in trouble for that. Right. And Vince McMahon, that if there was ever a poster boy for steroid abuse, it would be Vince McMahon and his World Wrestling Federation. Is that his fault? Maybe not. I see why they went with it, but it was bullshit. This was at a time, too, gentlemen, where it wasn't just professional wrestling that that steroids were becoming a huge problem. Like, you look at, I'll use Major League Baseball as an example because I'm a huge baseball guy. Anybody who knows me on a personal level knows how important baseball is to me. Um, Jose Canseco. a name from, from the past. Um, he was he became the poster child for steroid abuse in baseball, football. You know, I you you look at the monsters that that played football in in that era. Basketball maybe not as much. Hockey not as much. But you talk about baseball and football, like it it became apparent that it was becoming a real serious problem, and it didn't stop with Vince McMahon in 1994, because if you look back to the home run race in 90, 
97 or 98 with Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. Um, And then later on with Barry Bonds, like, you don't put on 75 pounds of muscle in a five-month offseason and not have some sort of help with it. I'm sorry. That just does not happen. Yeah, that that shit. Um, So, let's talk about the here and now. I was as shocked as anybody when I got the news. I don't remember who texted it to me, but it came in text message that Vince McMahon retired from WWE a couple of weeks back. And I thought it was a rip. I was like, I, and number one, I was in a pretty, pretty foul mood that day. And I said in reply, today is not the day to fuck with me. I'm, I'm, I will rip your fucking face off. Like, that's where I'm at. And they're like, no, I'm serious. It just came across the wire. And, of course, I don't, I don't go to Facebook when I need something. Like, right now, Twitter is where I go. And I'll look for a reputable source. And I found it. And sure as shit, Vince McMahon has retired from WWE. I thought, like many, many people, I'm sure you guys did too, that that man was going to die in the boardroom during Mm -hmm. a booking meeting. You know, he was going to draw his last breath there. We will go around the horn here. Tim, let's start with you. When you heard the news that McMahon had retired from WWE, what what was your first thought? My first thought was it had to be bullshit. Second thought was, I mean, there was a lot of stuff leading up to that, you know, with the scandal going on and stuff like that. And I was waiting for news to find out if, you know, it was all coming down to whether or not he used company funds for some of these payoffs. Right. And I had made a comment to somebody, I can't remember what it was, like a week before that was like, he used company funds. This is going to be the downfall of Vince McMahon, and he, he's going to have to, to step down. Lo and behold, a week later, he stepped down. My third thought was, you know, he might be stepping down, but I still think he's running the show. You know, he's, he's on a phone. Stuff leading out now, I'm not really so sure about that. You know, I think he actually stepped down. It's hard to tell. But, yeah, it, it was shocking because, just like everybody, I thought he died. So, in so, tight tower like, yeah. <laughs> I, I was convinced of it you know um, years old he's still going strong and I mean to be honest the guy's in incredible shape don't look like he's 77 like right. he could went on for years but it all came down to this scandal and where's these company funds going and I still haven't heard word yet whether or not he used company funds but I have a feeling he did I mean, I haven't read up. It might have came out by now, but to step down and retire, there's some some shady shit going on. Mm-hmm. I agree with that, and you know, like my my girlfriend, uh, you know, she she's not involved in the wrestling business. She doesn't watch it. Like she knows about it. Uh, she knows who Vince McMahon is. And when words started coming out that these women were coming out of the woodwork and, oh, I was, I had this 
inappropriate re relationship with Vince, not just Vince, but I guess John Laurinaitis, too, who was the head of talent re relations, people power. Um, you know, I was like, oh, man, this this doesn't look good because I think back of other celebrities that have had their careers derailed because of allegations. Some, some came to find out were true. Other ones were not. I'll, I'll use Matt Lauer from, from the, the today show as an example, like they didn't even do an investigation. Some chick come out and said, Oh, he, he sexually harassed me. Boom. After 20 years, he's out of a fucking job. And, like I, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, no, you should not come out if something had happened. I feel like if you are going to make an allegation like that, that could risk somebody's career and the reputation. Like somebody needs to do some goddamn research here. You know what I'm saying? Because so many celebrities have gotten caught up in this with some fangirl or fanboy that didn't want to be a part of it. Um, uh, I just, uh, I don't know, man. It it just blows my mind that in this day and age, you, you, you can just go on somebody's word without doing any kind of research, and the next thing you know, it ruins their entire life. And I don't know, man. I it, It's just, it, it's incredibly frustrating. It's 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 frustrating for me as a fan. It's frustrating for me as somebody that has supported that guy for a long time. And I'm not sitting here and, and, and trying to paint him as an angel or anything like that because he certainly is not. But I wish some more research had been done before we start just dropping bombs on here. But to the point that he is. Uh, He's stepping away from the world he created. Yeah. Tells me that there's more to this than what what was was presented. And and, and to me, it's 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 a goddamn shame. You know, well, it, it really is. It, it has to be because when it first came out, and they said that he had, you know, it came out that he had an affair with these women. Then come to find out, he hasn't been with Linda in quite a long time. So. At that point, is it really an affair if he's not with his wife and they're separated? You know what I mean? Right. And it, I mean, like, if, if this goes anywhere, there's half more to the story because, I mean, he had a relationship with somebody when he was separated from his wife. What's the rest of the story? You know, right. why are there payoffs to these women? And, you know, I think if he would have just, and I don't want to speculate because I haven't heard anything, but just something had to have been done with company funds because having a relationship with somebody and whatever that relationship is is between two adults and whatever they do whether she decides to get passed around you know shit is weird but is that enough to destroy somebody's life over you know like i don't know all the details so i can't really say you know like was this person consenting you know like it's weird to see. I, I hate to see Vince get ripped away for just something like that. So there's got to be more to the story. I totally agree. Like this whole thing just just stinks to high heaven. But um, you look at like for the longest time, especially the IWC, the Internet Wrestling Community, like they have been 
wanting this day to happen for so long. And a lot of these people are primarily hardcore, and I'm not trying to be stereotypical here, but I got to call it the way I see it. A lot of these are AEW fans where they want this imaginary war to happen between the two companies. And I'll go ahead and say it. And I know I, I know I will draw a lot of heat for, for this, but AEW is no competition at this point for, for WWE. They're just not. They're in the same business, but they're not competition. They're just an alter, ulterior version of what's being presented. Now, with that being said, with the appointment of Stephanie McMahon as co-CEO, and uh, Nick Khan needs to just fucking go. I'll, I'll say that, too. He's got no shit business being anywhere in the wrestling business. I don't give a fuck if it's a publicly traded company or not. It is McMahon's world. And the chick that holds the CEO position now, guess what? Her last name is fucking McMahon. Okay? I thought Triple it was H. Just McMahon. Huh? I thought it was just McMahon. I didn't realize it was fucking McMahon. <laughs> that shouldn't surprise me with Stephanie, really. No, but uh you've got you've, you've got triple h now in in the role that he probably should have been a long time ago and SummerSlam that happened here a couple weeks back was a prime example of things that are going right there is a dramatic shift right now happening and that wouldn't have happened if Vince was still in power, I get that. And I've been critical of Vince too. Man, I wish you would listen more to what's really happening instead of what you want. Like, I'll take Bray Wyatt as an example. The Fiend. Like, goddamn, the greatest character that they've made in the last five years, and they they fucked it up. You know what I mean? They let him go when they should, when they should have been building one yeah. of the two brands around him. It's Raw or SmackDown. I don't give a fuck which one. But you should have, he should have be, he should be the face of one show. Roman Reigns should be the face of the other one. That's my opinion. You know, we, we, we could sit here for hours on end and, and debate. But with Triple H now in his, in his role that he has, um, I feel like things are going to start going back on the uptick because tri- Triple H truly has his finger on the pulse of what's happening in this business right now in, in, in the here and now that is on, that was on full display at SummerSlam. It's been on full display on the raw and, and the SmackDown app, you know, after as we move forward here and I realize we're getting a little bit long here. So we're going to try to put a bow on this. Like this could be a fucking five hour episode, but we'll go around the horn here. With Triple H now in control of talent relations and head of creative. Eric, we'll start with you. Where do you see the future of WWE going here? Post Vince McMahon. I think it's actually going to go up. I think like Vince was a genius in his day, like the 80s, golden era, the attitude era, even like the ruthless aggression era. But then like, I think shortly after that, like, 2010 is where the at least the main roster stuff started kind of just because of like the like you're talking about Ray Wyatt inconsistent pushes of people like writing was terrible I just I just got fed up with it and I would just watch like the main shows like I'd watch Wrestlemania Royal Rumbles you know the, 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 
no big but I wouldn't right, watch, right. Yeah, I wouldn't wa- I wouldn't watch a lot of weekly stuff anymore because it was just like so and from what I hear like a lot of these guys that you know Vince basically ch- chased off all of Triple H's guys felt like he was trying to like piss off like piss Triple H off so that he would quit or you know piss Stephanie off so that they would like get themselves out of the picture like you know Shane left for a long time like completely removed himself from the company like maybe he was trying to do that to sell to Disney like everyone else. I'm not sure what what Vince. I don't know. He went off the rails after a while for me, and I'm, I'm I think that Triple H is gonna like you said. Got it. He knows what everybody wants right now, and he's gonna give us that. So a lot of those AEW guys that were his are gonna come back when their contracts are up. Right. So Eric, r- real quick, what what is what is in your mind if you had to bottom line it? What is Vince McMahon's legacy in, in the wrestling business? Oh, the the Godfather. You know what I mean? He's he's the George Washington. He's the, you know number one. Still, he always will be. Yep. Okay. Oh. Ah, the direction. Of the product, I believe, um, will only go up. Like Eric said, I believe that it's been quite a while since Vince has really had his finger on the pulse of the pro wrestling fan and their wants and needs. But um, WWE, since uh, Vince's takeover, has always been his product. It has always been unrelentingly his for better or for worse. Ultimately, I believe that the next year um, of operations are going to say a lot about what the WWE is going to look like going forward and what its level of success is going to be going forward. Uh, To answer your second question, what is the legacy that Vincent Kennedy McMahon leaves the pro wrestling industry a fucking complicated one for every positive thing i can say about Vince mcmahon i personally believe that i also have one negative thing to say about vincent kennedy mcmahon however what simply cannot be debated is that for better for worse whatever your opinion of it is professional wrestling will forever be remembered into time periods much like today we have bc and ad before vince after vince i feel like that says everything that needs to be said about his legacy yeah very well put tim what what's your two cents here brother I also think the the industry's well, WWE in general is just gonna go up. Um, I think Triple H proved himself when he was running NXT. I mean, NXT became hot. It became entertaining. It actually became more watchable than the main roster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think he got shit on with the wars with AEW. You know, they weren't always winning. The ratings, but that was also based a lot to do with AEW was new. You know, wrestling fans have been yearning for something different for so long. 
and they had top talent over there. You know, you had guys leaving WWE going over there, and of course, people are going to watch it. It's leveled off now, and I don't think they'd be as good now if you put that same NXT roster with Triple H running it against AEW. Now, I, I think AEW or WWE would win every time. You know, I think it was just hot. So I think with the success that he had in NXT, I, I think you're going to start seeing a lot of those people that left come back. You've already started seeing that. Um, just in the last week, you know, with Killer Cross showing back up and a few other people, I think it's only be a matter of time before Bray Wyatt shows back up. To be honest, um, I'd agree with that. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's going to shift for the positive, um, and I think it's because Vince did lose a little bit of touch over the years, or he's just let's face it, he's probably a little bit of an arrogant asshole and didn't want to admit that he was wrong when he was wrong. Right. Um, as for his legacy. I mean, I just paint the wrestling business as his legacy. I mean, it, we wouldn't have wrestling today the way it is without him. Uh, if you think about wrestling, it's hard to think about wrestling without thinking about him. You know, professional wrestling is nothing without him. We go back to the territories, you know. If you had the right TV channel at the right time or could go to a show in the neighborhood, that's what you'd have. Vince McMahon has made it mainstream. And I think his legacy is professional wrestling. And he's on the Mount Rushmore alone, you know, when it comes to pro wrestling. Not including pro wrestlers in that category, because that'd be built up different. But without him, you wouldn't have Hulk Hogan's. You wouldn't have Andre the Giants. You wouldn't have Stone Cold. You wouldn't have The Rocks. You, know, you wouldn't have any of these people. So he is professional wrestling. Well, gentlemen, I don't think I can say anything else that uh, can expand on that any better than the way you played it out. You're absolutely right. And obviously with a topic like this, with a guy like this, you know, like I said earlier, we could sit here for hours and break down every aspect of his career in this business, starting from just a, a legit, just a commentator to the godfather, as Eric had, had so el eloquently put, uh, Vince McMahon is professional wrestling. He is sports entertainment. And there there wouldn't be all elite wrestling. There wouldn't be major league wrestling and all of these other promotions, Ring of Honor and all this, if it wasn't for his influence, what he brought to the table and making it from a very regional based promotion or product to a worldwide publicly traded entity that has truly made its own quote unquote universe so i know all of us and if everybody is 100 percent honest with themselves and can put their personal bias to the to the sideline for a moment we are all indebted Vince McMahon because whether you support WWE, AEW, Ring of Honor, New Japan, it doesn't even matter. If you support any kind of brand of professional wrestling at, in 2022, in some way, shape, or form, it goes right back to Vincent Kennedy McMahon. And on that, we will we will hop out 
of the Turnbuckle Time Machine for this week. I certainly appreciate everybody tuning in. I appreciate our panel here tonight. Uh, Tim Sheridan, our newest member of the PFC Podcast Network. And of course, Eric Cherry joining us and the incomparable Pope Brandon Brownson. Gentlemen, I can't thank you enough for your time, for your insight. And uh, we thank you for listening. And we encourage your feedback, your, your show topic ideas, anything of the sort. Just look for us over on Facebook. Look for TBTM Podcast on Facebook. Or you can find us also on KlausToTheHeart.net, which is the official website of the PFC Podcast Network. For my panel of guests and co-hosts here, I am Jason Klaus. Be awesome to yourselves and to each other, and we will see you when we take our next trip in the Turnbuckle Time Machine here on the PFC Podcast Network, powered by Anchor.fm. Coming to the Legacy Center. Join Jason Fox as he brings his one-man motivational live stage show to Oxford's Legacy Center. It happens on Friday night, September the 9th, beginning at 8 p.m. Tickets will be available at the door for $10 apiece, but this is a show intended for age 18 and over. Come be inspired. Come be motivated. Come see the host of the PFC Podcast Network. Come see Jason Faust live September the 9th beginning at 8 p.m. from the Legacy Center in Oxford, Michigan, located at 925 South LaPierre Road, M24, across the street from Meyer. It's close to the heart lot at the Legacy Center in Oxford, Michigan, September the 9th.